Hey, Jubilee fam, it is an honor to once again rehearse with you the story of Jesus, to learn what it means to follow him in these challenging, but I believe transformative time. And if you're new with us, Jesus is our center. He is our savior. We believe that he is the hope, the only hope to heal the brokenness in us, to heal the brokenness in our world. And we are so confident of that because he was willing to go to the cross to die, not for his sin, but for our sin. Not only that, but he rose victorious to new life that anyone that would call upon the name of Jesus would share in his resurrecting life. And in the preaching series this summer, we've been all over the place. And so thank you for tracking with us. We've been, be, uh, we've been going in and out of three different sermon series. And the sermon series that I am in today is called Unshaken, Following Jesus in Turbulent Times. And we've got two more to go. And this series, we've been in the, the Gospel of John, chapter four, where we are taking a look at this exchange between Jesus, who was Jewish, and this woman who was a Samaritan. And if you've not been tracking with us, I encourage you to go check out the other messages. But just let me briefly summarize that, man, the racial tension in this passage is off the charts because racial tension in this time period between the Jews and the Samaritans was off the charts. So much so that when Jesus was traveling, he was traveling from uh, Judah to Galilee. From, and there was, there was just, there was two roads. There was one that went through Samaria, but there, that was called the Samaritan road. And then there was a road that went around Samaria. And that was the Jewish road because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And so most People who are Jewish, and this is what the disciples thought they would do. They just thought they would go around Samaria like everyone else. But in John 4, 4, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to go there. And because he had to go there and we follow him, we gladly follow him wherever he goes, we have to go there as well. It's not a comfortable thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not a pleasant thing to do always, but it is a fruitful thing to do. And I am seeing that fruit already. I love what's happening in our church. It's unsettling. It, it's shaking. But man, things are happening. Minds are changing. Hearts are changing. Attitudes are changing. Actions are changing. God is doing a work. He is shaking what can be shaken. And we're glad that if there's anything in our life that is temporal, that is not connected to him, we say we, we want to let that go so that we can grab a hold of what is unshakable, that what cannot be shaken, that is him. So I hope that you're pressing in. I hope that you're learning. I hope that you're growing. I believe that God has so much more for us as we approach him, as we begin to behold him and as he begins to change who we are so that we, we more and more uh, image who he is amongst us. So I'm so excited um, about to talk to you about what I want to today. Next week, we'll get into, it'll be the final week where I'll just talk about why this is so important to us. Why, more about why Jesus had to go through Samaria, why we wanna contend for one new humanity and why we are in this for the long haul. Don't miss next week. But this week, I wanna get into something that is so important. Anytime you talk about affecting long-term lasting change, and what I wanna talk to you about is shame. I gave it away there. I wanna talk to you about Shame. Now that may be counterintuitive for some, but uh, if you give me 20, 25 minutes, I think it'll make sense to you. So I want to talk about the topic of shame. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to get some help with my preaching. Now I know you're thinking, Brian, you don't need any help. I get it. Thank you. I appreciate that. But man, I had this opportunity from someone that I had a lot of regard for, both in what he said, his content, but also 
uh, how he communicated. And so I was like, man, I'm going to get help with my introduction, be born persuasive, uh, better study habits. I mean, I was so pumped. And so I would give him my sermons and he would take a look at them and give me feedback on them. And the very first time I did that, man, I was shocked. I was expecting something else. But what he did, he marked up the whole paper red ink. It was like I was back in, you know, eighth grade English, you know, just getting all kinds of red marks. And what was all over that, all over my sermon was shame, 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 shame. And what he was talking to me about, I was like, Brian, like the way that you are trying to affect change here is you're trying to affect it by using shame. And it got to me because I'm like, man, I was like, it wasn't so much that I used shame, but I couldn't believe how easy it was to use shame. And it was so undetected. And what I learned is that it's really easy to shame people when you're trying to change people. It's really easy to shame people when you're trying to change people. And I bring that up because in this season of COVID, of of fighting against racism, we're wanting to affect so much change in our culture. But in doing so, there's a lot of shame out there. So when you think about, you know, how do we approach the coronavirus? Man, shame is all the way around. Like I'm hearing people say, man, I don't know why a Christian would wear a mask. They are just living in fear, fearful, shame. Or I, I don't know why a Christian would not wear a mask. That is, that is loveless, shame, shame, shame. Wanting to affect change by using shame or getting our cr- point across about racism, shame, or defending ourselves, wanting to refuse to address the problem, shame going right back over. The amount of shame that's being used in our world right now is thick. And I think you know what I'm talking about. But I want you to notice that as Jesus interacts with both this woman and the disciples, notice that he never uses shame. Did you notice that this woman does not feel embarrassed, does not feel outed? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where something that you didn't want to get revealed got revealed, how embarrassed you would be. Jesus and this woman are having a conversation and Jesus says, hey, I wanna talk to you about your five husbands. And she's like, yeah, you know, I've I've had five husbands. He's like, yeah, and the one you're with isn't your husband. And she's like, yeah, you, you spoke the truth. She's communicating this truth to her. And then he reveals that he is the promised Messiah, that, 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 that he is the one that the Jews and the Samaritans were waiting for. You would have thought at this point, um, she'd be like, hey, you know what? Let me explain my marriages. <laughs> you know, let me explain my boyfriend. I know it's complicated, but you know, it's a financial thing. You know, we're married in our heart. You're like, I would, you know, when people meet me, like as a pastor, like it's something I actually try to downplay a little bit because when people meet me, they get all defensive about the way that they've lived their life. And, you know, they want to tell me about how much charity they do. It's just like, it, it affects this kind of like, I'm embarrassed about what I've done. Just me them knowing that I'm a pastor. But when this woman is confronted by the truth that Jesus offers, she is joyful, she is liberated, she is optimistic, she is hopeful, she leaves her water jugs behind, she runs into town and says, I wanna tell you about a man who told me everything that I've ever done. She found out the truth about who she was, but it did not caused her to feel outed or embarrassed. It actually felt her, caused her to feel liberated. I bet you this woman has never had a woman or man, any human being whatsoever, talk to her like Jesus talked to her. 
I mean, she's at the well at noon. The only reason why you would go to this well at noon in the heat of the day is if you wanted to avoid other people. This woman was living in shame, but when she encountered Jesus, she did not get shame. And if you'll let me take this a step further, as she goes into town to tell everyone about Jesus, Jesus goes back to his 12 Jewish disciples. Now check this out, 12 Jewish disciples, 12 Jewish men who were systematically taught to oppress, to, to, be, to have a bias against Samaritans. They were taught systematic racism. They were taught systematically racism against the Samaritans. And it should be noted that when he came back, it says that they were, they were confused, they were stunned, they were shocked that Jesus would even be talking to a Samaritan. You would have thought at this point in the story, knowing how they were raised, knowing how they thought, knowing even just how they expressed themselves, you would have thought he would have said, you guys are racist, you guys are wrong, you were taught wrong, you were, uh, the whole way of life is wrong, but he doesn't even do that even though no doubt they had racist thoughts, they had racist jokes, they had racist mindsets and laws and systems, they were institutionalized to hate Samaritans. I find that very interesting because the message could not be clearer in this story that Jesus is diametrically opposed to racism. He had to go there. He had to confront this. Listen, when nobody confronted this, Jesus would later shed his blood to abolish racism against the different people groups. He is diametrically opposed to racism, but he is also diametrically opposed to using shame, listen to me, even when people are acting shamefully. Here's what I love about Jesus. He always speaks the truth. He confronts, he is direct but he was always, always, always motivated by, the, by love for the person he was talking to. He was always motivated by person. We, we live in a culture where we feel like we either have to condemn or we have to conceal. There's like no other option. But Jesus doesn't buy into that, but he does something different. In fact, in, in the earlier chapter, in chapter three, he's talking to this Pharisee called Nicodemus. And in, in John three seventeen, we all know John three sixteen. John three seventeen says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn. He didn't send this world. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn, but in order that the world would be saved through him. He didn't come to condemn, to call out, to put people in their place. Jesus Christ came to liberate, set free, and to save. If his idea was to come and to condemn us, that would have taken two seconds. He could have just sent another flood. He could have shouted from heaven, but he did not do that. He was born as a baby. He lived on this earth for 33 years to live amongst, to come next side, to come um, alongside of us, to, to save us and to liberate us. And here's where I'm wondering about Jubilee. Here's what I'm wondering is that as we find ourselves in a country that has never been more divided and a desire to be better, to do better, to see healing, to fight against bias, bigotry, and racism in all of its forms, big and small, as we learn to depend upon each other in a worldwide pandemic, as we learn to depend upon each other physically, spiritually, emotionally, will we be kind Will we be the kind of people who follow alongside culture and call people out? Or will we follow in the footsteps of Jesus and call people in? 
the temptation for us is to use truth, to use a version of the truth anyway, to call people out. That's Satan does that too. He uses the truth to call people out, to condemn them, to push them down. Jesus uses the full version of the truth to convict us and to lift us up. Will we be like Jesus and build people or will we be like the culture and break people? Jesus was a builder. He was a restorer. He was a redeemer. If you Fast forward in John chapter eight, there's this other woman, this famous story as well of this woman caught in the act of adultery. Okay, John chapter eight, you can read this later. She's caught, I mean, there is no discrepancy on the facts. She was not innocent. She was guilty. And the Pharisees were wondering, what do we do with this lawbreaker? We need to call this out. She is a sinner. She is a homewrecker. She needs to be judged. The Pharisees wanted to call her out and judge her. Jesus though, wanted to call her in and love her. The Pharisees wanted to break her. Jesus wanted to build her. So he just simply said to the Pharisees, hey, fine, you want to break her? Fine, anyone who is yet to sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And one by one, they all left. And this woman is so broken, so embarrassed, so full of shame that she doesn't even lift up her head to notice that they have all gone. And Jesus says this, he says, listen, he says, No one's here to condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Now check this out. This is what he also says. He says, now go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Go, and the translation says, go and from now on live a life free from a life of sin. I've got a little secret for you. I I want you to change. (laughs) Like, I I think you are a fantastic group of people. Um, Second, only to my association with God and my family, Rachel, uh, Ella, Josie, Simon, Second to my association there, my association with you, man, I I love you. I'm so proud of you, but I want you to change. I I want to change. I I want us to change. I've been leading this church for 15 years and I spent a good part of my week contemplating how you and I can change. The list for us is long on how we can and should change according to the truth that is in scripture. Not because I don't love you, but because I do love you because I do love you. To speak the truth is a loving thing. To confront with the truth is a loving thing. To exhort is a loving thing. When we see, uh, when we see sin of any kind in a brother or sister, that we must be those that love enough, who care enough, who go and we, and we communicate the truth that is found in the word of God and we show them that they're off track. We must confront, we must speak the truth. There is no middle ground. We must realize that, yes, this country has been built for 400 years in a particular way that oppresses entire people groups. Does it mean that every way that it was built is wrong? It doesn't mean that everything about it is wrong now, but it's important to see that there is at least a part of it that has done this, that has oppressed this, that it's been wrong. It needs to be addressed. We need to speak the truth. We need to break the problem. We need to break the problem, but we don't break people. We, we, we build people. We don't call people out. We call people in. Shame culture wants to attack people. A gospel culture, the culture that we're trying to produce, wants to attack the problems, to attack the racism, the sexism, the, the division, all of it. We want, to, we want to get after it with the gospel. Are you saying we just skim over the truth? Man, that's the last thing I'm saying. I'm saying may we never be the people who skip over the truth. May we never be the kind of people who love so weakly, if you could even call it love, to see people 
committing acts of sin, attitudes of sin, thoughts of sin, and say nothing. It is a loving thing to show people the truth of God in Scripture. But we need to see that Jesus wasn't just full of truth. He was full of truth, and he was full of grace. In every situation, he was 100% truth, and he was 100% grace. When he dealt with this woman, he told her 100% truth, every, and he demonstrated 100% grace. And as Christians, we are those who are meant to be undone by the grace of God. For all have sinned and fall short of his glory. Everything that I used to credit to my account, either for my justification or my sanctification, I now consider filthy rags. In light of this, we walk boldly and humbly before our God. We, we, we need to do what it says in Micah 6. Micah 6, 8, it's a verse that gets quoted a lot, and I love that it gets quoted a lot, that we need to be those who act justly, and, and we need to admit that the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America has a history that has not acted justly. And we need to be grateful. We need to be grateful that there's change happening, reform happening, that is addressing what is right. But for us, we don't just want to chase after principles. We want to chase after a person. So for us to have the whole heart of God, it's not just that we need to act right. We need to call out what is right, what is wrong. We need to love mercy. We need to be people of mercy. God has been merciful to us. We need to be merciful to other people. And we need to walk in humility. I read a post by a Christian brother who was using shame to change another Christian. And someone commented, trying to defend the person being shamed by saying, Don't, shouldn't we show this person some mercy? And another person said, and I quote, some people don't deserve mercy. Oh, really? Like, what, what is mercy is for those who don't deserve it. Like, right, that's the whole point. Mercy is, is, is not giving people what they deserve. And listen to me, I am not suggesting that people should not be shamed because they don't deserve it, because they do. There, there is, we've all have experienced just a, a recognition of wrong and people have acted very, very shamefully. I'm saying that we don't use shame because here's the problem. It will deny what Christ has done in you and it will deny what Christ has done or wants to do. And then Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5.16. He says, so from now on, so from now on, this is the new reality for us. We regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. Basically saying that we don't view people the way the world views people. In fact, we used to view Christ that way, but we don't view that. We don't view Christ that way and we don't view people that way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. So our appeal is that, hey, come be like us. We figured it out. We're right. We, that's never been our appeal. Our appeal is come to the cross. There is room at the foot of the cross. We are before him, asking him for mercy in a, in a humble way. And there's room for all people. There's room for liars, for drug dealers, for thieves, for self-righteous. There's room for everyone to come and see what he has done for us. What has he done for us? 2 Corinthians 5, 21, just a few verses later, he says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So he took Jesus, the perfect lamb, Jesus, the perfect lamb of God. He became our sin so that in him, we might be the righteousness 
of God. He took on our identity. He took on our shame. He bore our guilt. He bore the punishment for our sin so that we could have righteousness. He became a liar. He became a thief. He became a racist so that you and I could be righteous. In Romans 8, one triumphantly declares that we need to declare, for now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one, the anointed one, that we are free. So we have been free and we want to walk in that freedom, not, have, not picking up the condemning voice of shame, but picking up the convicting voice of Jesus. One wants to call out and one wants to call in. One wants to push down. One wants to lift up. Here's the problem with shame. I mean, if shame worked, I'd say, hey, let's use shame. But shame doesn't work. Practically speaking, it does a couple things. First of all, it makes the person more self-centered, not less. You see, any, any kind of change that would, would happen because you've shamed someone, all that causes them to do is to think more about themselves because the, 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 change, the reason why they want to change is because they want to stop feeling ashamed. It doesn't actually solve the problem. And it does something bad, though, in you. It, put, it develops in you. It develops in you a critical, prideful spirit. This happened to a group of Pharisees who felt justified in who they were. And this is what Jesus said about them in Luke 18, 9. It says, they were those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, meaning that they, they were right, that in and of themselves, they were righteous. That's where the term self-righteous comes from, that I am okay because I have made myself okay, that I thought right and I do right. But we are not those who want to be self-righteous. We, we are not trusting in our righteousness. We're trusting in his righteousness, Really, really important. So it says, he told them a parable who trusted in themselves that they were right and they treated others with contempt. They, they had this us and them mentality. And when you have that, if that's a part of how you act, you, you're, you, you have to build yourself up. I'm right, we're right, my group is right, and they are wrong. Who, who is they to you? Who, who's a part of us and who's a part of they. Who are you trying to, to prop up and who are you trying to push down? I love what Jesus says and about, this is what it says about Jesus in Hebrews 2. I just saw this a second ago. It says, it says that he is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says the one who sanctifies, that is Jesus, and, and the one who is being sanctified, that's all of us. He is not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not ashamed anyone who is a, a Christ follower. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. He's not ashamed of us. And the devil loves this, this binary choice that we either condemn or conceal. Devil is quite happy to see the truth. He's quite happy to call people out and use shame. And he loves what's going on because when you when you shame someone, it builds in you pride and self-righteousness, and he, he wants to get you away from Jesus, so he loves that. But he also knows that when you shame someone, the person who actually needs to be different, who needs help, who does need change, who does need to think differently, who does need to feel differently, who does need to act differently, they don't get help. So he loves it. So let me be clear. We, we don't want to use shame because Jesus doesn't use shame 
Shame is a tool of our enemy, the accuser. He uses a part of the truth to push us down. Jesus uses all the truth about us to convict us and to lift us up. So why do we use shame? Why do we use shame? Well, we use shame because we're afraid. Some of us are afraid and wondering, will justice be done? Will justice ever be done? Will justice be done in case after case after case? Many of us waiting for justice to happen. We are afraid that justice won't happen. We are afraid that change won't happen. So we are afraid. And we use shame in our fear. Some of us are shamed that we will be, our way of life will be canceled. In lifting up one group, it means pushing down another group, our group. We live in fear, so we use shame. John, in his, we're reading in John's gospel, in John's letter, his epistle, his first epistle, he said this. He said, there's no fear in love but perfect love cast out fear. So, so the opposite of love isn't so much hate. The, he's saying the opposite of love is actually fear. We don't love because we've not, or we fear because we've not been perfected in love. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And then he says this, he says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. The reason why we fail to love others is because we've not fully been perfected in his love. In other words, we need to encounter him to get rid of the fear, to get rid of the shame, and we need to experience his love so that we can love other people. We need to be those who receive his love over and over and over again. Jude is talking to a group of people who are getting ready to scatter. And he said this to them, keep yourself in the love of God. It's so easy to want to withdraw, to want to get out, but keeping ourselves in the love of God is going to sustain us and is going to perfect in us the kind of change that we all want, that everybody wants. We all want this. We'll be able to do love philanthropy. Love philanthropy. You see, when you do economic philanthropy, it, it means that you have an excess of finance and that you're able to use that excess to give to people who don't have it and because you have finance and finance to spare. When you are receiving an excess of love from God, you're able to do love philanthropy because you have an excess, that so you have love and love to spare. And so you can give it away. You can give it away. You can give it away to people who don't deserve it. You can give it away to people who... Who, who speak ill of you and, and talk bad about you and do you'll be able to do that if you are receiving from him. Here's what I want you to do. I want you just to take a minute and I want you to think about the use of shame. I want to think about, I want you to think about the kinds of things that you post on social media. I want you to think about the kinds of things that you talk about with your friends. I want you to think, ask God. God, is, God knows our heart. He knows who we are. He knows everything that we've done. And he wants to show us mercy in that. He wants to reveal truth to us. I would just invite you right now, just to take a minute. I'll give you a few minutes to think about where God would want to highlight how you are using shame.
Are you someone who's looking to call people out? Are you looking to call people in? What's your love? What's your, what's your goal? Is it love? Is it to scold? Is it to disregard? Is it to eliminate? Or is it to, to build up, to bring in? We must be those who, who speak prophetic concern, but we also must be those who speak persuasive grace. We need to be full of truth, full of grace, not neglecting one or the other. So yes, in this time where change needs to happen, truth needs to be lifted up. Truth needs to be presented. People, change needs to happen. But when you're talking about a brother or a sister, we can't be those who call them out only. We have to be those who call them in, to go to them, to love them, to care for them, to avoid the use of shame. And we'll do that to the degree that we are receiving his love. So that's how I wanna end. I, wanna, I just wanna pray for you. God, I just thank you for the love that you've poured out on us at Calvary. That you died not for your sin, but for our sin. That none of us is righteous. And Lord, that at the cross, that we, we can be free we can be free from, um, from, our, from our sin, from our shame. Lord, and, and when we trust in you, when we trust in you, yeah, we, we, we don't have to be defensive. We can say, yeah, you could come and, and speak truth to me. And, and God, you wanna do that. God, you wanna speak truth to us. You wanna come to us and say, that's not who you are. You're not a liar. You don't, why, are you, why are you acting that way? Why are you treating people that way? I've not made you to be that way. You, you come and you convict us. God, I just pray, will your convicting love come to us right now? And God, I pray that you would free us from our fear and insecurity that would cause us to want to tear other people down. We pray these things in your name. Amen.